When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN.com, joined by Matthew Collar of 1500ESPN.com. We are sitting outside Winter Park in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, where I suppose you could say the sky is falling, or is it? I suppose that's the question we'll get into today as the Vikings prepare for another Thursday night game against the Dallas Cowboys who come to town with a 10-1 record. Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, Des Bryant, the best offensive line in the NFL, Plenty for the Vikings to chew on. This has historically been the kind of game where the Vikings do surprise some people, and Matthew will will probably spend a lot of our time discussing that notion. Conventional wisdom is going to say the Cowboys win this game, and I, I think I will pick them to do that. But is it too simple to say that this is one of those games where the Vikings are going to be overmatched, or is it fair to say that? I think it is fair to say that, considering that the Cowboys have won 10 in a row, that their offense is operating at the highest level a Dallas offense has operated at in a very, very long time. and um, Since North Turner was uh, running the show there, probably. And, and, and coincidentally, both of those offenses started at the same place, which uh, back in the Troy Aikman days, it was the offensive line. Yep. And here we are again with the best offensive line that I can remember in a really long time. Yeah. Whether you look at some of the stats for how well they push uh, defensive lines forward until Ezekiel Elliott gets hit, which is the best in the league, or the old eye test, watching them just completely dominate and create huge lanes for him to run and plenty of time for Dak Prescott to throw. I think they are a great, great offense. The defense I'm not entirely sold on. So that would be the one part is maybe there's a chance that uh, the Vikings offense could start to get going again. And the only other door that I would leave open, because I do think this is quite a mismatch, uh, is that Dak Prescott is still a rookie, and Mike Zimmer is still a brilliant defensive mind, and maybe there are some things that can be thrown at Dak Prescott that he hasn't seen yet that could cause a turnover because I I think what we've learned is if the Vikings don't cause turnovers, even if they play well or don't get a defensive touchdown or special teams touchdown, then at this point, the way their offense is playing, they're probably not winning. Well, they are built as they have been for the entirety of my team of my time covering them which now is five years they are built to play with a lead they are built to get a lead be able to certainly in the case of Adrian Peterson it was being able to run the ball and bleed clock and pad your lead now it's having an offense or excuse me a defense that can get after opposing quarterbacks and cause turnovers that way because they know that teams are behind and, and throwing the ball I mean, every NFL team wants to play with a lead, but I do think that in this matchup especially, it's important to get one because Dallas is also built to play with a lead with that running game. I The way the Vikings have defended the run, as, as leaky as their run front has been, and as well as Dallas is able to, to move people off the ball, it is going to be important for the Vikings to put this game on Dak Prescott more than it's going to be on Ezekiel Elliott because, yeah, I would agree that their best chance – 
is to throw some things at him that get him rattled and put him in positions where either he's taking a couple sacks or he's having to throw the ball in a spot where he doesn't want to, and you can you can create some turnovers that way because it is going to be one of those games where if you don't get that and you're having to try to get stops of Ezekiel Elliott and possibly match scores with a team that hasn't really been shut down at all this season, it's going to be a, a, a tough ask, I think. Well, that's the thing. You, you said it right, that if the Cowboys get a lead, they're just going to suffocate you to death with running the ball. Yep. And they're not going to turn over that way. And also, Dak Prescott doesn't turn the ball over either. He has had, what, two interceptions so yep. far this year, yep. 18 touchdowns that he's thrown. So even though he is a rookie and you always think, well, rookies could make mistakes, the fact that he's only thrown two touchdowns or two interceptions all year and 18 touchdowns would make me say that's kind of a tough ask, especially if they get uh, ahead in the game. The thing about the Vikings defense, as good as it has been, second in the league in points against, there have been times throughout this year, especially in this stretch of losing five out of the last six, where other teams have run over them. Yep. I mean, in the second half of the Cardinals game, they slowed down David Johnson. In the first half, he had no problem running right over them. And then you could go game by game. Jordan Howard against yep. uh, in Chicago. I mean, Theoretic there, there to have play been, in the first Detroit game. Yeah, there have been some very good running performances against this team, which even though Linvel Joseph uh, was really excellent through those first five weeks, they have not done a very good job of clogging up the middle and shutting down teams' run games, which does not give me a whole lot of confidence they'll they'll be able to shut down Dallas. Well, and, and we've sort of forgotten about Sharif Floyd in some ways because it's been so long since we've seen him, but it has been interesting. There have been a, a number of ways where the Vikings' lack of roster flexibility has come back to hurt them in, in the sense that they just don't have enough money to do much, but... That has been one of those things, that they haven't put Sharif Floyd on injured reserve. People ask me that question every week. Why haven't they done it? In some ways, Mike Zimmer said, because they weren't expecting him to be out this long, you could react to it at any time. The The bigger reason is that if they did it, what does it accomplish? It, it doesn't clear any cap space. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to have to pay him whether he's on injured reserve or whether he's on your active roster. So the fact that you have a roster spot, doesn't really accomplish much because you don't have any money to go sign somebody. That my point in all of this is the fact that they've been playing with three defensive tackles most of the season might be coming back to hurt them a little bit. You've had to ask for a lot from Shamar Stefan. You've had to ask Tom Johnson probably to play in some situations where you would prefer not to use him. I mean, you, you'd like to have him mostly be a pass rushing type guy. And you have to ask for more from Linval Joseph because – you don't have that many other options. I mean, his Linville Joseph, as good as he is, and he's one of the best nose tackles in the league, you'd still like to be able to get him out of the game a little bit and keep him fresh. I think the fact that, that all of those guys have had to ask have been asked to do more has come back to hurt them a little bit in the running in in the run defense part of the game and uh that certainly is going to be one thing to watch on Thursday. And, and throughout a season, other teams are going to watch a ton of tape on you. Yep. And if you have one weakness, they're going to find a way to expose yep. it. And I think Shamar Stefan is part of that weakness. I noticed this going back and watching the film of the Washington game, where they really controlled that game by running the ball against yep. the Vikings. Yep. And they came up with all those field goals at the end of the game. While they added up to a win, even though the Vikings were able to get stops eventually, a lot of clock was killed in running the ball, and a lot of their runs were knowing that the edge rusher was going to be out wide, and so he was going to be eliminated from a run-stop situation. It was going to rely a lot on Shamar Stefan to stuff his man, to stuff the guard or take up two guys, and he was unable to do that, and they pushed him back, and they created some big lanes there. The only positive to shutting down Ezekiel Elliott is the fact that Eric Hendricks does appear to be back and healthy. Yep. Yep. Uh, he was... He only played about half the snaps against Detroit. Yep. Well, uh, he's still limited in practice this week, so uh, maybe he is able to at least play half the time or come back. But I think we saw in a couple of games there what a big factor he yeah. is when he's out uh, in terms of stopping the run. Yeah, and he made a heck of a play on that screen late in the game to, to stop a first down there to, to get out to the edge and, and shut that down. I mean, he certainly is a guy that you need to have healthy, and, and I would – It'll be interesting to see how they use him Thursday night because they mostly were playing him in third-down situations last Thursday. They didn't really have him in there much in base packages or in situations where you were trying to stop the run. It was mostly third downs. They were using Audi Cole a lot when they felt like they were going to be in a, in a run-heavy situation. So 
it'll be interesting to see if they if they have Kendricks at their disposal a little bit more. I mean, on Stefan, he's a guy the Vikings have liked a lot. I mean, they they, they love the way he they uses his technique, uses his his leverage. I mean, they feel like I mean they've called him the big fundamental to use the old Shaq nickname for Tim Duncan uh, because he does a lot of things right. That said, he was a seventh-round pick. I mean, he's a guy that probably, as a rotational player, is a nice piece to have on your defense and certainly is a guy that is capable of helping you. But when you've had to play him in a starting role and, and you're playing him as much as you are, it is tougher to make that work over the course of a season, and that's one of those areas where not having Sharif Floyd, both because of what he can do for you and because of the fact that he gives you another option, has probably come back to hurt them. Now, whether this will all play out that way on Thursday remains to be seen. On the other side of the ball, we've heard a lot this week about the Vikings needing to be more explosive, and this came up today, and I was giving my friend David McCoy from WCCO a hard time about this because – he comes in trying to go with it. Everybody's talking about how you need to throw the ball deep, but everybody was talking a few weeks ago about how you need to throw the ball short. <laughs> and isn't I mean, he was asking if there's a happy medium there. I was kind of giving him a hard time because the narrative of his question was everybody sucks but me and nobody can <laughs> see this but me. I said – I was giving him a hard time about this, but this is something I want to discuss, and I, I think it's a valid point. Part of the reason we're discussing this, who's brought it up twice in the last four days? The starting quarterback. Sam Bradford has said twice now that the Vikings need to be more explosive, and I think when the quarterback is saying that, using his bully pulpit, so to speak, it's worth watching because he's trying to say that we need to do something different schematically. And, you know, for a guy that doesn't make a ton of headlines, that doesn't say a lot of controversial things, I think it has been interesting to hear Sam Bradford make that point because it's clearly something he wants to get out there. Well, yeah, I kind of have a problem with Bradford saying it the way that he said it because he's the guy with the ball. And I also know from going back and doing my own research on the West Coast offense, I talked to um, a coach that had worked early in his career with Pat Shermer, who now works at the University of Wyoming, and um, did a lot of research on the Bill Walsh days and things like that. And one of the basic concepts of the West Coast offense is you've got a deep option, and if it's not there, then that's where your underneath stuff comes. It's not all short passes. It's not all dump-offs. And there were opportunities in that Detroit game for him to try and make a, a throw down the field where actually, believe it or not, the protection wasn't that bad at times. I'm not saying it was great. I'm saying at times there was some opportunity for him to throw the ball and he didn't do it and I I look around the league and I see a lot of quarterbacks who are launching the ball down the field into one-on-one coverage and getting big plays and getting pass interferences and it doesn't mean that that has to be the basis of your offense it means you've got to take that shot now and then to show that you can do it and the guy with the ball didn't do it and then seems to want to direct the blame onto Pat Shermer, like indirectly but directly through press conferences. Yeah, I think he he threw two passes that went 15 yards or more down the field. But it was, I mean, he made the point too that there weren't many shots called. And I think, you know, we talk about this. We we've had this conversation now around here for three years because this was a big Teddy Bridgewater talking point too. To clarify, when we talk about throwing down the field, we are not talking specifically or exclusively, I should say about 40, 50-yard shots. We are not asking them to be the 1970s Oakland Raiders. And I don't think Sam Bradford is calling for them to be the 1970s Oakland Raiders. Part of the reason they've done the things they've done is because those are things that work for Sam Bradford. They've historically worked for Sam Bradford. That said, there have been times this year where he's been able to throw the ball downfield. I think he's actually fifth in the league in accuracy of, of passes of 15 yards or more. So, I mean, some of this is that they haven't had guys on the field to throw to. When you're missing Stephon Diggs, that hurts it. But how many how many shots did you see downfield on Thursday that were there? I, I mean, in terms of things that they could have thrown that they didn't, I don't, I don't think there were many. I think there were a lot of times where the plays were called to go where they went. There were probably times where Sam Bradford unloaded the ball quickly, either because he was getting pressured or because he was seeing ghosts. I mean, the pressure numbers, he, he wasn't pressured all that much, and there was a couple plays, but – there were also a lot of times where he unloaded it. I, But I, I guess I didn't see more than maybe a couple times where he had opportunities that he passed up. 
Well, there's a third down play where he checks down to Matt Asiata yep. immediately, and they tackle him a couple of yards short of the first down. Was and that one early in the game? It, it was. Yeah, and I think I know the play you're talking it about. really stuck out to me because – he made that read clearly at the line of scrimmage yep. and went right to it, despite yep. the fact that after he took the snap, the linebacker read that all the way yep. and was headed right over to Asiata. I think and there was a slant over the middle that would have been probably a you know, 12, 15-yard throw that looked like it might have been there and he let it develop. I know you can look back at point. film and say, oh, should have thrown it there, should have thrown it there, because right. I can pause it and have it in slow motion. But at the same time, it was quite clear, and I felt this way in the Philadelphia game at times, too, where we just pinned that on Norv, but there were times where Bradford made his read, and he just went there. Yep. Even if they if they showed blitz and backed out of it or something like that, he just went to his read. He likes to throw his first read a lot. And, and the, the other point is, okay, so the offensive coordinator sends in the play, and I this is how it works, right? I understand that, and you're supposed to execute what there is called. But, again, you're the guy with the ball. It's like when you're a pitcher and the catcher calls for curveball and you're not feeling it. You're the guy with the ball. So if they hit a home run, it's on you. It's not on him. So if you don't ever complete a pass down the field and you fail on third down eight out of ten times and it's because you're checking down, that's on you. It's not on the guy calling the plays. You're the one with with the ball. You're the one leading the offense. And to me, just – I think he's come off as being kind of a little whiny about it with the way that he what he said here over these last couple of days with we need more explosive plays, we need more explosive plays, kind of pointing it at other people. Yeah, I don't know if I'm with you there. I, I mean, he only threw to the sticks five times on Thursday, and that was a problem, and I think we all pointed it out. But, I, I mean, we're talking about, yeah, there were a few times to go downfield, and this is, you know, you, you ask NFL coaches this, and you ask him a question about, some hypothesis that you have and like no we had opportunities to do it you know here's why this generally when you ask an NFL coach do you think my hypothesis is correct they'll say no (laughs) right you could say do you think the opposite of my hypothesis is correct and they'll say no so generally when you're asking him a question it's the the way to get the answer you're looking for is to ask the opposite because their their general response is uh, I know what you're saying, and it's wrong because how could you possibly uh, be on anything? Or, but, or we don't want to reveal anything to the right, other team. Sure. Like, There's yes, you're too. you're absolutely right. There have been many. Perhaps times. I'm salty because a veteran player told me after the game Thursday that my job is not to understand what's going on. My job is to report on the game, and we had a lively discussion about uh, how those two things are actually more related than uh, he was supposing them to be, but. Uh, perhaps I'm I'm so riled up about that. Yeah, well, understandable because uh, your job is to understand the Correct. game and do a wonderful podcast. That's your the job is the, to report on the game point. and understanding what's going on, <laughs> or at least asking questions in an attempt to understand what's going on, but, is a valuable part of reporting on the game. Yeah, it certainly is. But when you say to Rant Pat Shermer, "Don't you have to do this or don't you have to do that?" I mean, his answer is always going to be like, "Nah, man, maybe because." He, he's not going to tell you sure. what their game plan is yep. against Dallas. Yep. So I understand like 80% of that, and sometimes it's just downright condescending, but that's how it goes. Yep. Um, when it comes to Bradford, though, maybe whiny is a bit harsh, but it seemed after a game I feel like I can understand the emotions are high, and he says, yeah, we lost and we need more explosive plays, and he sort of is like holding dudes accountable in a way, like, hey, come on, everybody, we need to come up with some bigger plays. But then when he comes back after he's had time to think about it and look at the tape and all that and says the same thing, even though he's the one most responsible for whether there are big plays or not, that's where it kind of rubs me the wrong way. And the other thing is we've seen him create big plays. So it's not like it's impossible. And it's not like this offense, since Pat Shermer has uh, taken over, has been totally stagnant. They have had some nice drives. But on Thursday, I thought the guy with the ball – just didn't make a big play when he needed to. I think we're I mean, we're we're discussing great we're discussing shades of gray here. I mean, we're talking about you mean yes, the West Coast offense is typically based on shorter throws. There have been a lot of West Coast quarterbacks who have been able to throw downfield when they've when they've had opportunities to do so. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is technically in a West Coast offense, though I don't think it bears a lot of resemblance to what Bill Walsh was playing with. Brett Favre certainly was able to throw downfield at times when it was there for them. So, I mean, we're talking about gradations of things, and, and I think Sam Bradford 
yeah, there were probably a couple of plays where he passed on things, but by and large, I don't think they were looking to throw downfield on an awful lot on Thursday. And some of that, like he said, and, and as teams have continued to play the Vikings, there were two safeties back. And Pat Shermer said it today that there were times where if they've got two safeties back and you're trying to throw downfield, it's not going to work. You're going you're gonna to go to something else because it's going to be covered. And you're going to see plenty of that again on Thursday against a team that, as Mike Zimmer said today, their base defense is still Tampa 2 because it's Rod Marinelli and he's an old Tony Dungy, Tampa 2, Monty Kiffin disciple. And they're going to have two safeties back an awful lot. Now, the Redskins found opportunities to throw deep. Kirk Cousins hit five throws of more than 15 yards and threw for like 190 yards on those plays. I mean, he throws short a lot, but there were opportunities there. So the, the trick for the Vikings is going to be able to find those things. And, and the other piece of this is will they have the guys that can get open down the field? And this, to me, is where having Stephon Diggs back in the field is such a big part of it, not only because he's a guy that can do that, but also because it opens things up for other people. Adam Thielen, 15 of his 45 completions, this, 45 receptions this season are 15 yards down the field or more. So he's a guy that Sam Bradford has looked for in those situations. And Stephon Diggs being healthy would take some attention away from Adam Thielen. So I, a lot of this, when we're discussing this, is what you have available to you. And a lot of times this year they haven't had as much to work with as they probably like. Well, and when it comes to those third downs, I'm not big on the old, like, John Madden in the video game where Madden says, I don't know why you'd throw short of the sticks because a lot of times those plays can go for first downs. Well, Madden was coaching the Kenny Stabler offense. Yeah. Remember that, too. That's, that's true. Uh, but I love when you, by the way, uh, in, in a, I think it was probably four or five years, maybe probably longer ago than that, when, when you do the Ask Madden on third down and you go, <laughs> Yeah, give this play a shot. Like, <laughs> yeah, this one might work. Like, thanks, John. Yeah. Nice to know you're invested in this. The um, one of, in one of them, I don't remember early 2000s. He used to say over and over, "Success isn't measured in yards; it's measured on the score at the end of the game." Like, thanks, John. Yep. This is just about as good as watching you on TV. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty close to the real thing. But a lot of those plays that go short of the sticks turn into first downs if you've got room to run after yeah. it or guys who can make the plays. And I yes. think a little bit of my problem was you're, if you're checking down to Matt Asiata and asking him to make a play in space to get a first down, that's a tough ask. If you're doing it to Kyle Rudolph, it's a tough ask. With Stefan Diggs, it's a different story. Yep. I mean, he has a skill for creating room for himself as he's making the catch and then exploding after to get first downs on short passes. And if he's in that game, I think they probably do win. Yeah. And if you're the yeah, Vikings, probably. you I think you look at that game and go, geez, if it's not a short week. But this entire slide has been defined by, geez, if a guy makes an extra point, yep. geez, if we don't throw a pick at the end of that game, and eventually you get so many losses in a row and you go, you know, this kind of sounds like what teams who aren't great say yep. is that everything has to go our way in order to win. As Mike Zimmer's mentor, Bill Parcells, likes to say, you are what your record says you are. And you get to a point where you have enough of these ifs and buts that if they were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. When those things add up and you don't have them, it's like, well, maybe this is what we are. And, th and that's going to be the, the interesting question here is, because it, this season has been so odd in so many ways, though not one of the top five oddest seasons of all time. It ain't in over yet. History. Yeah, that's true. There, there's still plenty of time. I, that's, I probably just did the uh, NFL season version of the writer in the press box at the baseball game going, boy, this game's really moving along quickly. <laughs> Probably just jinx it. We're probably about to get hit with some other crazy news story. But I think uh, at the end of the season, we need to have more writers in on the podcast to weigh in, the veterans, to weigh in on actually, the wackiness of the season. Well, I Judd, think we could, will. Judd could talk about this because Judd covered the 2010 season, and to me there is no season that could possibly knock that one off the perch for the weirdest We've been ever. a little quiet lately since Norv resigned and then they got rid of Blair Walsh. It's sort of been like business as usual yep. a little bit. Yep. And uh, so unless anything else is wild, wild comes along, yeah. then I will have to back off of my take, which is that it's a really crazy too many, season. Too many weeks of business as usual are not good for your take. <laughs> um, I mean, we when talking about the guys they have available. I mean, yeah, there is a there is a lack of skill position talent on this team, and there there has been that at one position or the other for a while. 
I mean, Adrian Peterson coming back would help in that regard, but we're still at least a couple of weeks away from that happening. And by the time he gets here, I mean, especially now that you lost that game, you really are in a position where, uh, you know, assuming they lose Thursday and they're six and six, I mean, you probably need to win out, right? I mean, and, and, and in doing so, you may have to win at least a couple more games without him. And I was looking at, uh, of ESPN, Brian Burke uh, put out a bunch of charts last night after the final game. and Not one, to be confused with uh, the old uh, Toronto Maple Leafs GM. Correct? Which I, I think he runs Calgary now. Yes. Great hair on that guy. Not that guy. Former. Different uh, guy. Was Team Canada GM? Mm-hmm. Yes. Known for the word truculence. Um, yes. But this. But this guy, not so truculent, uh, the stats guy from ESPN, was yeah. giving the Vikings about a 50-50 shot still to get into the playoffs. Yeah. And a big chunk of that 50% is beating the Lions, which uh, means, I mean, beating the Lions for the division. Yes. They lost to the Lions yep. twice. But yeah, I, I think our FPI still has them with a 50% chance to make Well, it was to, yeah, at one point it was to win the division. I think it was still 50%. But... Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. And now it's going to be really hard to get in the wild card, especially with what Tampa Bay did um, on Sunday. Yep. So we look at the you know the chances to get over the Lions, and it seems pretty tough. At the same time, those last four opponents. I mean, Why this is a tough schedule down the stretch. This is the only thing that you can be hanging on to. Yeah. Is you are probably going to lose Thursday. If you win, it's a bonus, but you've got to win four out of five, no matter what, yep. to have a yep. good chance. And then you're facing an Indianapolis team that is disastrous on defense, a Jaguars team that might have the worst quarterback in the league. <laughs> you know, I mean, and then you've got a Green Bay team that's kind of reeling and wants to fire yeah. its coach, and a Chicago team that played Matt Barkley at quarterback. I mean, even as bad as it has been over yeah. the last six weeks, I could still be pretty easily convinced that they'll win all those games. Well, yeah, and that would be you start if you started with a five-game winning streak, finish with a four-game winning streak, and lose five out of six in the middle to get there. I think I picked them ten and six after Bridgewater went down. I'd be like, I'd sit there at the end and be like, "Yep, exactly what I said, just what we just thought, just like I drew it up." Not really. I mean, yeah. the The question is going to be, can they get to ten? Because Remember now, the Lions have two wins on them, which means the only way they can win the division is to finish ahead of the Lions. And if the Lions win two more games, you officially have to win ten. You have to you have to win four of your last five if the Lions get to nine victories. You cannot win a tiebreaker with the Lions if they get to nine and seven. The Lions, I think they have the Saints yet. I think they have... Um, the, the, Is there the a closing, Giants mixed in there? Yeah, it, the, the closing three are Giants, Cowboys, Packers. Um, and who knows where the Packers will be by New Year's Day. But I, I believe, uh, yeah, well, December 18th, I think they're at New York, and December 26th, I think it's a Monday night, they're at Dallas. So, I mean, that's that's a tricky little stretch there. And, I mean, having to play New Orleans yet in there could be – tricky as well i think that's who they play sunday and i can't remember what the other one is you've also got to think have, that they're um sorry must have the bears one more time right what's they played the bears twice yet who's that alliance i have no idea okay um you've also got to think that this computer sitting right in front of me <laughs> today answer that question go ahead i'll look things up their luck has to run out at some point with the lions now i mean in 16 games it is such a small sample that uh, anybody could have luck over a full season. Uh, we've seen teams that lost one fumble out Unless of ten. Unless he gets a concussion. Who gets a concussion? Andrew Luck. Oh, man. Have luck that, or, sorry. I get heavily scrutinized on this podcast for bad jokes. That was terrible. That was really that bad. That was not a bad joke. That was a dad joke. That was, that was awful. Um, but just in terms of keeping up that luck where they have to win every game, uh, at the end with the fourth quarter comeback of some kind. And think about just the luck that it took for them to beat the Vikings twice. Bradford's got to throw it to you at the end, get a pick. 
Um, you got to get a drive that starts back at your own seven-yard line all the way down to kick a field goal. The first game, Blair Walsh has got to miss an extra point. All those things, just on those two games alone, would say that's going to be pretty Take hard to sustain. Take over on the 18-yard line and wind up punting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much that's luck and yeah. how much of it's ineffectiveness. But. but having the other team melt down when they've got a chance to score, I mean, everything is just breaking your way for the Lions. And can that continue when they start to play some even better teams? I do wonder. Yeah. I it, still, though, when it comes to the chances for the Vikings to make the playoffs, which is kind of where we started before your joke derailed everything. Didn't um, derail everything. We're back on track. <laughs> it's that. Um, do you really believe that they can win four games in a row after how the last five out of six goes? And that's where I get caught up. Is I go, one of those games, Bradford will not have a good game like he did on Thursday, or one of those games they won't get the turnover, or one of those games something's going to go wrong. And, by the way, the Lions are one of the worst defenses in the league, and they didn't really take advantage of that. So even these other teams that don't have great defenses, it's pretty hard to say, oh, yeah, well, they're just going to light up that defense when they didn't even do it to the Lions either time. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that, that you're looking for here is some measure of consistency, and we haven't seen that from them certainly offensively in quite a while and I mean really the loss to me that you sit there and say that one could be the one that sinks the whole thing is that game against the Bears I mean to Mm -hmm. lose to that team the way they did on Monday Night Football is one of those that you may be looking at at the end of the season and say man we need to have that one back because I mean the other ones you can mostly deal with I guess I mean you know in the sense that they're teams that are in the mix of making the playoffs. Now, losing to the Eagles could be one that hurts in a wild card race because that's a team that you're going to have to beat. The Redskins, same thing. But the one that that I look at it at this point and say, boy, that one is going to possibly be the one that sinks them is, is that Bears game. Because all the other losses are against reasonably good teams. Yep. Even though that it took a lot of things to go wrong to lose to the Lions, that's the team on the top of the division. Yep. The Bears is just such an inexplicable loss. Yeah. And that yeah. was amidst some sort of bizarre power struggle within mm-hmm. the organization for who's calling the plays and who's managing the overall philosophy yeah. of the offense. And it was just that to me is a is a top to bottom failure, not just from the players, but you know, whatever was going on with North Turner and then he resigns right after yeah. that game. Yep. It was like that is the the messiest portion of the season. Yeah. And a loss that you really just can't have against a team like that, which is more or less tanking to the bottom. Right, yeah. And that one that one may be the one in the end that you sit there and say either they're missing the playoffs or they're sitting there having to sweat things out at the end of the season because they lost that game. And, and yes, as I look it up now, Lions remaining schedule uh, at New Orleans, home against Chicago, at New York, at Dallas, home against Green Bay. So their their remaining two home games are NFC North opponents. Boy, their their last three home games are against division teams. Um, and but the other three on the road in New Orleans, not an easy place to win. And then uh, going to the Giants and going to the Cowboys certainly could be uh, tricky assignments as well. Do you believe at all in? Hey, they're the Lions. They'll blow it. Um. <sighs> Typically, yes. Um, there are certain teams that just kind of have that thing about them. I guess it's kind of an odd year to say that. <laughs> the Chicago Cubs are one of those teams, and they have uh, obviously flipped that narrative on its head. Um, you know, I was talking with Michael Rossi and our Lions writer about this after the game. It, you know, we were doing some TV stuff, and I said to him, you know, this is, you know, Lions gonna Lions is now turning into a different thing because Lions gonna Lions right now means they're gonna pull out a game that you didn't think they're gonna win. I, yeah, I I still don't know how good they are. I mean, I, the thing that gives me a little more belief that they'll at least be able to win a couple of these games is how well Matthew Stafford's playing, and I I do think that he is at a level where he has not been before, and that is a big part of the difference here. So I, I mean, as you look at the schedule. As a, if the Lions, if the Lions win Sunday in New Orleans, you're probably looking at the Vikings needing to get to ten wins. I I I don't think I think if they beat the if they beat the Saints Sunday, you figured they'll come back home and beat the Bears. 
I, I yeah, if they if they win that game against New Orleans, I think it's going to be hard for the Vikings to get in to the playoffs with anything less than ten and six. I've never been a believer in that sort of thing. Um, it just never quite made sense why what their laundry makes a difference between yeah, whether they especially when you're talking over the course of different coaches GMs it's been the same ownership group in their case but in some teams it's not I mean like the Vikings it's not and usually it comes down to if you've got the quarterback then it usually works out fine and for years and years and years Cleveland was the biggest joke in sports history and then they just won a championship and now they're not anymore yeah I mean that's just how it works right like ah they're gonna Cleveland and then they didn't is like well okay I guess they didn't and now we move on with our lives so the Lions at some point will win a division they will probably go deep in the playoffs but whether it's this team or not though i i think stafford is a pretty good quarterback but i still think that he has enough issues for me to say that i don't see him as oh he 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 won't fail i mean if if this was rogers at that point i would probably be like all right rogers is not gonna let this whole thing fall apart yeah or, or whoever, Cam Newton, yep. or somebody really great, Roethlisberger, I'd say, well, they've got their lead, and now they're going to take care of business. But with Stafford, even though he's got great numbers since Jim Bob Cooter took over, I still sit here and say he's still Matt Stafford, he still has his problems, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has one or two bad games that show up at the end and they fall apart. Yeah, I mean, and I guess I'm not talking about Super Bowl. I don't think they're that good. I I'm just asking the question of are they good enough to put the Vikings in a spot where if they would lose Thursday that they have to win the last four? And I think, you know, we're going to have an answer to that question by Sunday afternoon. But, yeah, I guess I think they are. I, I think they're certainly still good enough to win two more games and make it so the Vikings have to go probably win the last four. It, or, you know, if, if you win Thursday, that's obviously a pretty big bonus because – not having to to run the table to win out would be nice. They they did do that in 2012, where they got they fell to six and six after a pretty good start, and came back and won the last four to get in on the last day of the season against the Packers. So they've done it in, in the fairly recent past. A lot of different pieces, different coach, um, but it, it is capable for them to do that. It's just uh, you you would not like to have to be in that situation. I mean, like what some a, margin for error. What a huge bonus it would be. Yeah, if they could beat. Uh, Dallas on Thursday yep. night. Yep, it's no just it's just such a tall order. Yes, um, the only thing you can say is some sort of like you know uh, pregame show style. Hey, it's the NFL, so stuff happens yep. and teams upset teams, and that's about as far as I can go. Um, I am interested, and I've got all the Dallas quarterbacks for you to guess. By the way, we'll get to that soon. I am interested though in this game if Xavier Rhodes can slow down Des Bryant. Because when we talk about like the keys to this game and the big matchups, I mean we're focused on the offensive line. Des Bryant and Josh Norman really got into it. Yep. And I, overall, Des Bryant wins that matchup. They win the game, and he has a he has a, a good game. I think he had seven catches. Xavier Rhodes is, I think, on the same level as the other shutdown top corners yeah. in the league. Yeah. I would put him right up there with the Josh Normans and Aqib Talibs um, of the NFL. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that one because Bryant has come in and added a whole other dimension to what Dak Prescott can do. Yeah, I would agree. And Xavier Rhodes has also proven to be fairly good at getting under the skin of receivers whose skin is not that hard to get under. Um, guys like Odell Beckham, um, you know, guys like that with that kind of personality, I, I think he could be able to agitate Des Bryant a little bit. He's going to be physical with him. He's going to be probably trying to get Des Bryant a little worked up, and if that happens, that's probably an advantage to Xavier Rhodes. That matchup is certainly going to be one to watch because whatever Mike Zimmer says about it this week, and we've kind of stopped asking the question because we know how he's going to play it, I would bet very, very strongly that Xavier Rhodes is going to be following Des Bryant all over the field on Thursday night. Now, it's also interesting to see Terrence Newman back today. He was... He was back from that neck injury that kept him out on Thursday. Having him back to me is a big deal because having Xavier Rhodes shadow also depends on the guy on the other side being able to move around. And I, I'm I'm more comfortable with Terrence Newman doing that, even at this point in his career, than I am with Trey Waynes. I think 
teams are going to go after Trey Waynes, especially if he's in situations where he's moving around like he was a little bit on Thursday. And if you have Terrence Newman, who typically is going to be in the right place, I think it's a little easier to take some liberties with Xavier Rhodes. Uh, yeah, and I think we've also seen the value of Captain Munerlin, yep. who did not practice as we're recording this and uh, maybe just recovering with that yeah, ankle injury. He's been so. kind of nursing it, um, but he did a good job against Arizona, and he was matched up a lot with Larry Fitzgerald. There yep. were some times where you're just going to lose that battle yep. because he's a Hall of Famer and you're not. But overall, and he's I six thought, three and you're five <laughs> ten maybe. Yeah, give him five ten. Being generous. Um, but if he can't play, that's a, that's going to be a, a big yeah. problem, too. Um, I mostly say that because Captain likes to make jokes about his height, and it's fun yes. to needle him about it. Yes. He also has in his locker, he's got those little rolls of nickels. Yep. You know, because he's a nickel corner. Um, Laquan Treadwell, some interesting uh, or bizarre, which which would you rather categorize yeah, was, it as? Was... Interesting slash bizarre explanation of some of Laquan Treadwell's uh, issues. Today. Yeah, yeah. I asked Mike Zimmer this morning uh, in the course in the course of a conversation about Treadwell if if I thought or if he thought Treadwell was completely healed from that broken ankle and dislocated fibula. I think it was that he had last year uh, at Ole Miss, and he said, "Yeah, I think he's past that." And he said he had some different shoes that he was wearing that his his feet weren't hurt, but they were bothering him, and now he's not wearing those anymore. I the only thing I could. I was like different shoes. I he he'd worn some cleats against the Bears. I think that were different because the Cubs were in the World Series and it was related to that because he's from Chicago. But I don't. We asked him about it in the locker room today, and he's like, "I'm not really sure what he's talking about." So yeah, kind of bizarre. Uh, not really sure what to make of it. I there's probably something there. I don't think Zebra would have brought it up out of nothing, and Treadwell probably just didn't want to talk to us about it. But uh, yeah, kind of weird. Something uh, pertaining Laquan Treadwell, I started playing around with the uh, player index on football reference. Great, yep. great tool if you ever want to use it. Yep. And uh, so I looked up rookie first-round picks uh, in their first year, so in their rookie season, um, since 1990, wide receivers. And if Laquan Treadwell doesn't pick up the pace a little bit, he will be the worst-performing first-round pick uh, since 1990, what do you mean by pick up the pace? How many catches does he need to have? Uh, let's see. I think there were a couple other ones that were in the, like, 7 to 10 range. Okay. Um, but there were a few guys that had two or three catches that only yeah. played, like, four games because yeah. they got hurt or whatever sure. else. Kevin but White. If, if, right. If he's going to play double-digit games, though, he's going to have to get into the double-digit catches. Yeah. Or he's going to yeah. be the or have the worst rookie season for any first-round wide receiver selection and that's that's really not a great look for the yeah. Vikings if they now I, I understand I'm the not logic. sure they're gonna be that that concerned about it if they're told that but uh, yeah I mean I, I they certainly I think it's probably fair to say we're expecting a little more at this <laughs> yeah. point yeah you would think so and I guess for me um, I understood all the other reasons why he wasn't on the field before with Norv or maybe you know Thielen's playing well and all of a sudden Cordero Patterson has a job. But on Thursday, he's out there for 34 snaps yeah. and just was not a part of the conversation at all. And shoes or whatever else he needs, I mean, he's got to find a way to make an impact on the offense yep. or that is a complete bust pick and a really a big hit to the offense from what they expected it to be when they drafted him. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here after 11 games and call him a bust or really – sit here and say that he's on the way to that yet but yeah I mean it, it's for a guy that you felt like was going to make an immediate contribution because he filled a need it certainly has not gone that way and I, I think part of it from what I understand is that I mean North Turner has not been a guy that that played receivers early in their careers and I don't think that the two of them necessarily saw eye to eye on everything from what I've been, kind of been told um so some of that probably plays into it. But, yeah, now that he's getting opportunities, you would like to see him get to a point where he's getting enough separation to have Sam Bradford look his way. So, yeah, I think that that is something that certainly bears watching over the last five games here. If I had papers, I would shuffle them near the microphone to indicate that I have my list of All Dallas right. Cowboys quarterbacks. All right. Here's the time period. After Troy Aikman – so he's retired. He's yep. done starting yep. until present. And uh, there's either 18 or 19. I counted twice and got two different numbers. Now, you should count again because this dictates how many I have to get to. 
I want to know, is it 18 or 19? I believe it's 19. That was my second count. I, I missed one and landed on 19. So that means you got to get to 10. Well, that's why I want to know. Is, to it, is it 18 or 19? I want, I want a recount on this. A recount. <laughs> oh, if you want to just read some names out loud as you're counting, political, that's fine. Political jokes. I've got 19. I, that was my second right. count, and I'm going right. to go with it. If you want to keep this thing going, you got you to gotta go big here. It's got to be by the book. Yeah, yep. right. You've got to step your game up. Yeah, uh, just if like you the Vikings. Play with the big boys. You, if you want to keep winning, you gotta. If you want to <laughs> keep playing, you gotta win the tough game. All right, now you're just stalling. To All think right, of quarterbacks. Yeah, kind of. Uh, okay, so I gotta get to ten. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Dak Prescott. That's one. Tony Romo. Two. Quincy Carter. Uh huh. Matt Castle. Correct. Uh, who was the other one I was just thinking of? Why am I blanking on what the heck just happened to my brain? Um, Chad Hutchinson. That's five. Um, see, I got to get a couple more here before I use my hints. Mm-hmm. Um, you get three hints if you don't know yep, the rules. Yep. Um, part of this is like I need you. You know what? I'm going to take my time to think. Okay. Because part of it is I rush through this and forget guys that should be obvious because people get bored listening to this. Um, but no, I'm going to take, take my your time. time. I mean, I'm if you made it through it fast 43 minutes of this, um, you'll hang around. So you said Tony Banks was not one of them. Was not, no. Uh, he must have been before somebody. I'm I sure don't I'm know missing. if he ever played for them. Was Derek Anderson there, too? Uh, Derek Anderson was not there, no. But you're thinking, you're thinking, well, I don't want to give you a hint. but uh, Brandon he, Whedon. That's correct. Okay, yes. that was that's a big one to get. So that's six. Uh, they had a bunch last year. You're um, almost in the land of yeah, hints. Yeah, I need one here. more need here one to more. get to the hints. And you should, I mean, you should be able to go back a little ways in your mind yeah. and get, you got, you're missing some guys that started 15 or 16 games. Uh, yeah, I know I am. Uh, some of the years they were really bad. Um, Bernie Kozar wouldn't have been there. That would have been earlier. Yeah, um, that would have been Troy Aikman's backup one yep, year. Um, that, you're, you're going back to 93 I know, Bernie I know. Uh, there's other ex-crappy, let's see here. Maybe I should give you your hints. No, 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 and no. Then, no. But, and then you can try to circle back and grab one more. Okay, okay. All right. So you're missing a former Viking starting quarterback. Two different stints. I said Matt Castle already, didn't I? Uh, you did, but that's not who I'm thinking. Uh, two, oh, Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson is correct. Yep. So that puts you at six. Six. Um, you are missing a former number one overall draft pick. Uh, oh, Ryan Leaf. Um, Ryan Leaf is correct, okay. but that's not. No, who he was I not the number one overall pick. Of. That actually, okay. So Where that, was that. So that's number seven. Uh, former number one overall pick. Uh, should be able to get this. This shouldn't be that hard. Uh, Ryan Leaf, two, uh, 2001, three games for those interested. Okay. Uh, see, number one overall pick since Troy Aikman. Um, Tim he Couch? Was, he was at the end of his career. So, no, not him. Um, Started 16 games one year for them. his career. Successful quarterback. Although, so, actually was good. Yeah, although his predecessor was better. This is a lot of hints. Um, I know. I'm really helping you out here. All right, Drew I'll go. Bledsoe. That's correct. Yes. Not his, his predecessor, his successor Jeez. was better. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, I don't know who his predecessor was. No, he was there was. with Parcells. Yeah, yeah. yeah his you, predecessor no, would have been like. But, uh, ah, gosh. but his successor, Tom Brady. You're right. Yep. I, wrong. Uh, okay. Wrong so language. I'm at. How many am I at now? Uh, you are at seven. Okay. So you've got. But I got Leaf. I, oh, I'm oh, at eight. Yeah, that puts you at eight. Yeah, yes. don't you short still, me here. You still need two more. I still got another but hint, But you right? only got one more hint to yep, go. Okay. So I'm trying to pick out which guy I should give you a hint on. Um, Gosh, there's got to be If I want to make really it easier or hard, I will go with this quarterback um, played for a very long time. An excessively. Vinny Testaverde. Yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, okay, so i got to come up with one other schlub. One, one more. Ah, uh, gosh, this should not be and this you've hard. Got, I mean, there are some names on here that you can still get, guys who are either starters in the league or maybe played. another a, former Viking in there. Um, some other guy. There that, is another. I'll just give this to you. There is another Tom Brady connection to starting games in Dallas. Uh, I said Matt Castle already. Oh, Drew Henson. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like I need that, to get one more. That's just what, I, I feel was going to say. It's a little cheap. But um, yes. There was another former Viking. Did Jeff George did not start there. Did um, not. Randall Cunningham did not start there. He did, did he? but he did. Be- before, he, yes. before the time period. I thought he was there. Um, 
Dante was not there. I'm not sure that you named all their quarterbacks from last year. You named I know. Castle, There's a Castle bunch. Romo, Whedon, and there was one uh, more. Yeah, I know there was. Um, you're, you're signaling left-handed. Michael Vick? Kellen Moore. Oh, Kellen Moore. Yeah, give you a, give you a few more here. I think um, you've advanced to the next round. Was Kitna? No, Kitna yeah, wasn't No, that's there. right. All right. That'll, that'll make it legit All right. for you. Yes. Survive in advance. On to the Jaguars. Um, All right, what are the other You also needed uh, Stephen McGee. Well, I wasn't going to get that. No, you weren't. Um, Kyle Orton started one week. What? Oh, man, how many of these guys were like one week? The uh, A lot of them were one or two. <laughs> um, Kellen Moore started yep. two games last year when they were intentionally yeah, losing. that's right. Scrolling down a little bit more, Anthony Wright was another one. Yeah, I wasn't going to get that. And in 2001, I think my favorite on this list was Clint Stoner. Yes, Stoner. yes. I, re- I was Stoner? never going to get that, but I can I can picture. See, like an Arkansas guy. Uh, I, I have no idea. You know, I should have said. I, part of me in the back of my mind is like, there's a Clint. <laughs> Maybe it's just because that's a great like Texas name, Clint. But, so there you go. So I, I survive to the Jaguars. Yes, and the Jaguars, another team that you should have a great. I think you got to do the whole history. Though, well, actually, that shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. I mean, considering a lot of it's Mark Brunel. But the original, the ori- uh, first original starting quarterback for them. Well, I'm not going to help you. I don't know who it was. But you'll find that out on yeah. the next Purple Podcast yeah, from we'll, next week. We'll uh, we'll bring people back for that. Should we do predictions? Uh, sure. All right. They lose. <laughs> do you care to attach a score to that prediction? Since, since I've been wrong like seven <laughs> weeks in a row or something, because um, I thought they were going to lose to Arizona and then beat Detroit, and that didn't happen. I will say this is a 24-13 to 13 win for Dallas. Okay. Uh, I am going to give some credence to the it's not going to be as bad as everybody thinks narrative, uh, kind of based on what they did. In that Thursday night against Arizona last year, I think they, I think it will be closer than people think. Uh, I do think they lose because I think in the end, if there's a drive where they're forced to stop Zeke Elliott, they're not going to be able to do it. Um, I will take Dallas in this one. Uh, we'll go twenty to seventeen. I can buy it. Yeah, I and. I could I mean, also could buy Dallas winning almost. by two touchdowns, yeah, but I, I I guess I Dallas think winning. they'll do enough to um, fluster, Dash, fluster Dak Prescott a few times, uh, maybe not create turnovers, but at least stall a couple drives and uh, be able to make a couple plays somewhere or another. Because right? Dallas' defense is not that good. I, I mean, they, that's the thing that makes this team interesting. We talk so much about the offense, but – their defense doesn't have a ton of guys that just sit there and scare you. I mean, Sean Lee is going to be all over the field, but it's there are going to be plays to make against a defense that doesn't do a great job pressuring the quarterback and has not been tested downfield a ton but has shown it will give up some big plays, particularly if you get opportunities to take shots at guys in man coverage. So uh, we will see if Sam Bradford gets his wish, if the Vikings are able to throw the ball downfield Thursday night. We will be back. With another edition, probably will it be late Thursday night or early Friday morning. Probably by the time it gets posted, it'll be early Friday early morning. Early Friday morning, yes. It'll be there for you when you wake up as well. But uh, the two of us, as well as Judd Zolgad, will be at U.S. Bank Stadium Thursday night. I think Judd's coming, right? Oh, he'll be there. I assume so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll be there Thursday night to break down Vikings-Cowboys in what is mercifully, for our purposes, and maybe for yours too, the final scheduled, at least, night game of this season. So we will talk to you at that point. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you Thursday.